We are rejoining John's narrative. He tells the story of Jesus and and we spent some time with him and his disciples around the table and now they are on the move. Jesus is now uh, not just teaching and talking, he is now moving towards the cross. And so we're going to join this movement in particular as in particular as we uh, head towards Good Friday and Easter. And so join me in John chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 1 to 32. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, One of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. 
But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Let's pray. Father, we have in front of us uh, heavy words in many ways, words um, that help us to feel the weight of what Jesus has done for us. And I pray for that this morning. I I pray that the familiarity of this scene and this story uh, would strike us in a different way, in a strange and new way, so that we would be renewed in our understanding, in our encounter with the power of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for these words. They are gifts from you. We come trusting that they, they bring us life and wisdom. And so would you help us to hear? Would you help us to receive with humility? To be comforted and challenged and sent to live for the glory of your name. And we pray it all in the name of your son. Amen. How would you edit your life? You, you have a 120-minute movie to tell your story, to say, this is who I am. What would you edit out? What scenes from your life would you leave on the cutting room floor? What words... What thoughts, what emotions, what actions, what moments would you rather not make it into the movie, the story of your life? Let me slightly change the question, how do you edit your life? What story do you tell yourself and others about who you are? What do you leave out? What do you want to keep on the cutting room floor? Those moments of shame, those lapses in judgment, those 
times when you lacked integrity? We all have things that we would rather edit out, but what I want to say this morning is that what we want to leave out needs to stay in. What we want to keep on the cutting room floor needs to stay in the story that we tell about ourselves. Consider Peter. If I were Peter, I'd want John 18 cut out of the Bible. (laughs) I'd want this edited out of the movie. This is not Peter as his best self. This is not his one shining moment, is it? I'd want this edited out. But it's here. It's here. This dark moment of profound failure made it past the editing stage into the movie. Why? Well, because in the end, the story isn't about Peter. The story's about Jesus. And in this darkest moment of Peter's life, shines the light of the world. In this moment of profound failure for Peter, Jesus is made known. In the glory of who he is, and in the glory of what he is doing. And so this morning, I want to say, let's leave those dark moments in so that we, like Peter, can come to know the light of the world. And from this text, I think we can see that, that like Peter, in those dark moments, in those moments of failure, we can come to know Jesus in two aspects, who he is and what he does. So first of all, who Notice the contrast between Peter and Jesus in how they respond to the threat of the garden. Judas, the betrayer, shows up with force. He shows up with representatives of the Jewish authorities. And he shows up with a group of highly skilled killers. Well-trained Roman soldiers. Judas shows up with force, and how does Peter respond? Well, he meets force with force, right? He whips out his sword and starts swinging. He attempts to defend the true king of Israel. He attempts, with his sword, to bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom victory of God, over his enemies. And he fails spectacularly. Most likely, he's swinging for the head and he only gets the ear. (laughs) Shows some of his skill as a warrior. But more significantly, Jesus exposes his failure. Peter, you don't get it. You don't understand the king and the kingdom. Do we have to go over this one more time? That's not how it happens. Put your sword away. Now, in contrast, how does Jesus respond? 
Well, Jesus responds with force as well. Only not the force of weapons, but rather the force of words. He steps forward and says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And the SEAL Team 6 of the ancient world just falls over. What? Why? Why does why did Jesus' words create that effect? Well, one of the reasons we asked that is we don't feel the full effect of his words in our English translations. When the group says, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus does not say, I am he. He says, I am. And they fall over. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a number of I am statements. He says, I am the bread from heaven. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way and the truth and the life. And all of those statements are drawn from the imagery and the expectations of the Old Testament. Jesus announces over and over again, I am the promises and the gifts of God to his people. But here in chapter 18 and in chapter 8, Jesus goes a step further. And he just says, I am. Claiming for himself the name of God. The name of God that he revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He says, I'm not just the promises. I am the presence of the God who made those promises. And that's why the soldiers fall over. Because when God asserts and displays his presence, no one can keep their footing. There's been a a number of basketball games on recently. And I've watched a few of them. And I saw in one game an offensive player drive to the basket and then miss what seemed to be a pretty open, easy-to-make shot. Now, the problem was between him and the basket stood a seven-foot center from the other team. But what was interesting is that defender did not leave his feet. He didn't raise his hands. He just stood there. And the commentator said that was all about presence. Just his presence interrupted and blocked that shot. These soldiers fall over because they encounter a presence far beyond a seven-foot basketball player. In a different category, beyond all categories. But Jesus announces this identity and asserts his presence, not just for that one effect. No, he's doing more than creating effect. He is communicating a message. And he's communicating a message about who's in charge. He is saying, in what happens in the next few chapters of John, in chapters 18 and 19, as he is slapped, as he is falsely accused, as he is executed, Jesus is announcing 
that in all of these things that happen, he is not the passive victim of circumstances. Jesus is not a helpless victim of the Jewish and Roman authorities. Because what Peter wanted to prevent, Jesus the Son, in perfect concert with the Father and Spirit, had planned before the foundation of the world. Jesus here asserts a profound, extensive, unmatched control of what's happening. So notice, in Peter's silly failure to manage the situation, in Peter's failure to accomplish his dream of the kingdom of God, what do we find? We find Jesus, the embodied power, authority, and control of God himself in the flesh. And we chuckle at Peter. We, we laugh at Peter. He seems a little like my four-year-old who thinks that he can take on the world with his lightsaber made from a pool noodle. And that laughter is okay as long as it becomes a good-natured laughter about ourselves. As long as it becomes a laughter about our own illusions of control. As long as it becomes a laughter about our own silly attempts to manage the world, to manage other people, to manage the darkness that is around us and the darkness that is within us. You see, we need this dark moment like Peter because we discover the absurdity of our weapons. We discover the absurdity of our competency. We discover the absurdity of our resources in order that we might encounter the immeasurable resources of the eternal word of God who became flesh and who still possesses this control, this power, this authority. Have you encountered that Jesus? We want to domesticate Jesus. Uh, we want to keep him as a curiosity. As, as one whose teachings we're interested in. As a, as a part of a number of gurus in our life. But what Jesus asserts here will not abide that. He destroys the attempt to reduce him. To domesticate him. He is 
I am. But, if that's who he is, why does all of this happen? Isn't it strange that the soldiers who he knocks over with his words still get up and arrest him? And take him to a ridiculous trial and allow him to be slapped and worse, executed. If Jesus is the I am, why does all of this happen this way? Verse 32 says it's a part of the plan. Not only that Jesus would die, but how he would die. The specifics of this trial and execution. So why this way? Why this method? I think we can begin to answer that question as we move on and consider, secondly, not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus does. Verse 8, the second time that Jesus says, I am, he doesn't stop there. He keeps talking. And he says, if you're looking for me, fine, but let these men go. Speaking of his disciples. And then verse 9, John goes on to explain what's happening there. Why Jesus does that. And he quotes Jesus from several different places previously in the gospel. Chapter 6, chapter 10, and chapter 17. Where Jesus expresses his intention to keep those who belong to him. To guard Not to lose, to protect all of those who belong to him. That's what Jesus is doing. He is protecting his disciples then and now. But protecting from what? What is he keeping them for and from? He's not protecting them from physical harm. All of these men go on to suffer. And many of them die deaths similar to Jesus. So he's not protecting them from all harm. What is he protecting them from? I think chapter 17 can help us. Remember chapter 17? I know it's been a few weeks, but it's that that great prayer of Jesus. And there, Jesus, the Son, prays to the Father that the Father would keep the disciples, then and now, that He would keep them in God's name. The name that Jesus uses of Himself in chapter 18. He prays that that the Father would keep them in His name. And what He's asking for is that God would keep them, that He would keep us from straying from our identity as sons and daughters of God. He prays that the Father would keep us from deserting our allegiance to Him And the life that comes from him. And what Jesus is now doing in chapters 18 and 19 is he is answering his own prayer. He is protecting those who belong to him. He is keeping them in the life 
that comes from belonging to God and not the world. But still the question, why this way? Why this method? And the answer is found in Peter. As Jesus says, I am, what does Peter say? I am not. Jesus says, I am. Peter says, I am not. Jesus fully, publicly embraces and announces his identity, even though that means suffering and death. What does Peter do? He stiff arms his identity. He pushes away his connection to Jesus. The connection that brings him to the life that comes from God and God alone. Peter does that. And so do the rest of the disciples. And and so do I. And so do you. And that's why Jesus says, take me, not them. That's why he says, Peter, put away the sword of the kingdom. Because I had to drink the cup of kingdom judgment that you deserve for resisting the God who is your life. For resisting the Son, the identification with the Son who brings you to the Father. You see, as Peter goes this way, Jesus dies to extend his reach further and hold Peter. Keep the disciples. Protect you. Keep you in God's name and the life that comes from belonging to God's name. I've never rescued a drowning person, but I have heard that that is difficult because often drowning people flail and move in ways that resist their own rescue, make their own rescue more difficult. Jesus came. Jesus was tried. Jesus died not to rescue drowning people, but to rescue drowning people who resist their own rescue. And isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do daily? Do not we live in opposition to the identity that Jesus has given to us? Do we not live at a distance from who we are, who we should be as sons and daughters of God? And don't you at times feel ashamed of that? Aren't you at times discouraged, so tired of those failures? I am. I should be more peaceful. I should be more loving. 
I should be more sacrificial. I should be more courageous. Why am I so angry and afraid still? Don't you get tired of that? Don't you feel ashamed of that at times? But John 18 is still here. John 18 was left in the movie to say that Jesus would die rather than lose you. Better, Jesus did die rather than lose you. So bring your shame there. Bring your discouragement there. Bring your weariness to the one whose reach exceeds your still one. To the one who died to hold you in God's name. My wife and I were talking this week about how preachers like me sometimes tell exemplary stories. Uh, We tell stories of of people who we should want to emulate. People that we should want to be like. People that we should want to imitate. And Jess and I were talking about how I want to be one of those stories. (laughs) I love to be one of those. I want to be one of those saints' stories. I want to be those stories of people who sacrifice, who who live these lives of great virtue and courage. And I get so frustrated with the fact that I'm not one of those stories. (laughs) But do you see the danger of those stories? See, those stories are all about what we do for Jesus. This is a better one. Peter is the story of a true saint, which is about what Jesus did for him. That's the life we should want. Not the sermon illustration life, but the life that shows what Jesus has done for us. And that's why we need our dark moments. That's why we need those moments of failure, those moments of weakness. Because there we can look with clarity and power to the Son of God who gave Himself to hold you, to keep you, not to lose